we need to have everybody's voice heard, not just people who agree with us. Everybody needs to be valued. And the board wants to create an environment of psychological safety for our members to disagree. That's where you get the good stuff. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Rosa Donato, And I'm Marian Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a pen nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Amplify Nursing features nurses who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm. Today on Amplify Nursing, we talk with Dr. Angela Mund, President of the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology. In her 18-year career in academia, Dr. Munn has occupied roles at the University of Minnesota, as well as the Medical University of South Carolina, where she currently serves as the chair of the Department of Clinical Sciences. As a proponent of nurse leadership, she's actively involved in a number of committees and boards that amplify the voices and views of nurses. Dr. Munn talks with us about her path to becoming a nurse anesthetist, the importance of getting involved in professional organizations, and how leaders can cultivate safe environments to help others thrive. So Angie, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Thanks for the invitation. So uh, why don't we start with how did you get into nursing? You know, it's it's so interesting is a lot of the things my life come through with serendipity is it just happened. I started out as a chemistry major and after spending two years in chemistry lab, I realized that I was much more of a people person. So applied to a couple of nursing schools, got in, ended up at the University of Minnesota School of Nursing, which is, I still believe it's one of the longest running, continuously running nursing programs in the country, which uh, I was, I'm very proud to be a graduate of their program. From there, that's where things took an interesting turn is I, I always wanted to be an educator. So I was gonna be a clinical nurse specialist and I'm working in the cardiac ICU and a couple of friends of mine got into nurse anesthesia programs. And I didn't really know that much about nurse anesthetists. They came and brought patients to me in the ICU, but I really didn't know what, what their job was, what they did every day, what their, what their world was like. But I took great advice from a friend of mine and applied to a one nurse anesthesia program that had all the things I was looking for. And it was the Minneapolis Veterans Affairs School of Nurse Anesthesia, hospital-based program, eight students, very small, and was lucky enough to get in my first time around and um, enjoyed every of it. I felt part of their nurse anesthesia family and enjoyed when we had uh, different people who came through our through our department. So that's how I got into nursing and nurse anesthesia. What about the program changed your view? from education into anesthesia. Not that eventually it, it changed back, but. Yeah, it kind of all came back around. It was pretty interesting because some of it is being forward thinking and what, where do I see myself in 20 years? And in 20 years, I didn't see myself going immediately into education. It is losing that bedside piece of moving into CNS into a clinical nurse specialist right away. I was, I was concerned with that. And when a colleague saw things in me that I didn't see in myself, I took that opportunity and like a lot of things in my career 
I just took a leap of faith that nurse anesthesia would be the place for me. And a lot of it, I, I was lucky too, is I think I've developed a good pattern of the ICU that I worked in. It was cardiovascular surgery. It was big ICU, very complex patients. The nurses were incredibly respected and were allowed to make some pretty autonomous decisions in how they managed patients. We were treated as part of the team and that what we had to say really mattered. And I worked with some of the smartest nurses I'd ever worked with. So that when I was looking for a nurse anesthesia program, I wanted to go to that kind of program. The developed nurse anesthetist for for a collaborative, autonomous practice that recognized the role that advanced practice nurses play in everyday clinical care and in how the department's managed and what we want to look like as a team going into the future. So I really had, I had some great mentors that I, I could list them off. I can still remember the nurse that I worked with as a student nurse intern at the University of Minnesota, who taught me always, always value the voice of nursing. You are an integral, equal member of the team. And that was in between my junior and senior year in nursing school. And that is something that has resonated with me through my entire career since I graduated as a nurse in 1990. So I've been a nurse for a long time. Well, mentorship is incredibly important. And I've had the same experience over the course of my career with people seeing things in me that I didn't necessarily see in myself. Actually, that's what even started me thinking about nurse anesthesia. I was working in a PACU and the hospital that I worked in, you had to go into the ORs to see like what was going on. It was before I'm dating myself, before we had like systems to see what was happening back there. And uh, I was friendly with one of the nurse anesthetists and I popped into the room you know, to just figure out like what was going on for staffing purposes and stuff. And she said, what are you doing out there? And I said, oh, you know, we're just waiting for these last couple of patients. And she said, no, I mean, you should be in here doing nurse anesthesia. You'll be good at it. And I was like, oh, okay. So that sort of got me thinking about it and and starting, starting the whole process. And I think it's incredible that you had mentors who were telling you how important it is to be a nurse and how important it is your voice is, because that's not typical, I think, in nursing. And I'll even, and that had been in 1988 or 89. And I look at how far we've come in the last 10 years in the voice of nursing and how we, as an organ, as an organization of professionals across the board of APRNs and nursing is we've become to value that voice. And it's fun to see more podcasts talking about nursing, more YouTube videos talking about nursing, advertising talking about nursing and the value of it. That, you know, I reflect back there and the nurse I worked with, I think she's an incredible pioneer of recognizing that. And we need more and more people to do the same thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more there. I think that it's taken such a long time. Your mentor was definitely uh, at the vanguard of recognizing the importance of nursing because it's we're only starting to see it now. As a matter of fact, I was just in our policy class, we were talking about an article that was published. It was about six months ago, but it's I think it's just kind of making it maybe a second round or whatever on social media. It was written as almost if it was a surprise to everyone that nursing is a cost center and it's not reimbursed for and hospitals run thin on nursing because that's how they make their margins and 
And it was, you know, the tone of the article was like of pure surprise that this is happening. And this is why we didn't have enough people when COVID came along to take care of people. It was just funny because nurses know that we all know that, you know, we all know that we're running short and they're always asking so much of us in all roles, you know, advanced practice as well as bedside nursing. So anyway, you came into the nurse anesthesia world and you ended up in this obviously really big leadership position as president of the ANA. How did that trajectory come along? Let me think about that for a minute, because it seems like it's just always been part of my plan. I'm a planner. I've been a planner for a long time. Is I first started getting involved, but I'm going to back up. I'm going to back up a smidge. Is when I graduated from the the Minneapolis Veterans School of Nurse Anesthesia in 1998, they had zero CRNA turnover. CRNAs got hired and they never left because it was such an incredible place to work. Uh, In our area, it was the only anesthesia department that CRNAs really did practice collaboratively. The anesthesiologists trusted us. We did all our own blocks. We did all our own lines. We We did everything. So when I graduated, there were no jobs there. So I went to an academic health center, big academic hospital in Minneapolis, which was great too. It was a good place for new grad. I did a lot of very complex pediatric cases. But two years later, the chief anesthesiologist at the VA called me and said, Angie, there's a job opening and we'd love to have you take it at the VA. So I said, great, I'd love to take it. And then I realized that it was a huge pay cut, significant pay cut. But to me, the value of practice and making a difference and really, quite frankly, I'm um, in the Army. I was in the Army then, and the thought of working with veterans was very important to me. So I come back to the VA, took a big pay cut, which is a new grad. That that can be significant. And then shortly into that, Ken Wetchin, who was my chief CRNA there, came up to me and he said, Angie, I think you have great leadership abilities. And if you can get on a national board, you get a jump in pay because it moves you up a grade at the VA. So I applied to be on the board of the Association of Veterans Affairs Nurse Anesthetists and then moved my way up through there to be president of their association and their executive director after I was done with my presidency. And that really set the stage then for me to be involved in the ANA because I worked very closely with ANA staff and leadership when I was involved in Avana. Then got on some committees and I'll put this plug out there for any advanced practice nurse who's out there is get involved in your organization, get on committees because it is personally and professionally rewarding. And I wanted more of that. So then I started running for the ANA board and every single time that I moved up a step in the ladder to presidency, I found, again, more and more professional and personal gratification of making a difference, having a say, leading leaders is how someone else put it to me once. And I enjoy that and mentoring others. So the time commitment can be pretty significant as as you move into the, the higher positions, but it is so well worth it. It really is. And I am so grateful for everybody I've worked with on ANA committees and our ANA staff. It's It's been a fantastic journey. I've found that participating in in PANA and the Pennsylvania organization has been extremely rewarding and doing, you know, working for, even though it's a volunteer organization, 
the extra work is worth it when you see that you're making a difference for your colleagues, that you're you know, legislation and, you know, t- for us, title designation, you know, giving us credit for the work that we do. So, and it's, you know, it's all of us, not just uh, Pennsylvania, but, you know, in the national organization, all of us working together to to get everything that we deserve. So what, what does your schedule look like this these days? I know we were talking a little bit about offline, the travel that that's, uh, that you have to do, but what is it that you're focusing on when you're doing these trips and and working for ANA? Most of it is legislation, meeting with external stakeholders. And a, and a lot of it is really talking about what we as CRNAs can bring to their organizations or can bring to national healthcare. It, it really is. It's about what we can do to increase access to patient care, what we can do to lower healthcare costs what we can do to provide resources and information to make legislators and regulatory agency leaders jobs easier. So most of my travel has been to DC. It's usually a quick trip up and back from where I live, but I I really enjoy the advocacy part. That's been a passion of mine for a really long time. A lot, lot of fun to do. The other thing that I spend a lot of time of is visiting our states. So attending our state organizations for nurse anesthesia. And I'm actually heading to a state this weekend to help them with their board orientation and strategic planning, which I really enjoy doing too, is that that future forecasting piece. So I do some of that. I do a lot of lectures around states and I always do an AANA update and talk about what we've been doing within the AANA and what our board has been doing in order to advance the profession so that we can all take care of our patients better. And to get people engaged, when I when I look at the AANA, it isn't just me, it isn't just a board of 11 members, it's 59,000 CRNAs around the country, and we're going to need all hands on deck to move things forward. So I, I try and get people engaged, uh, That and that's a lot of fun too. And then my final travel is working with our nurse, our APRN partners, and doing some travel to their meetings, and trying to find ways that we can work together collaboratively. Because I believe that nurse practitioners, CNSs, CNMs, we all have this for our agenda. And what that agenda is, is to improve patient care. And we all have our own little pieces of it. But together, the power of nursing in numbers, and like I said earlier, the, the nursing voice as a collective is important. So that's an area of travel that I'll be doing quite a bit. Have you found that you've had any resistance to those collaborations because historically we don't nurses don't really work well together as one big giant group we're very siloed which has definitely devalued us over time i think from being able to make decisions you know it's i agree with you 100% i really do i think there's a lot of aprns that don't even know what we do because we've always been you know kind of hidden hidden in the operating room I think we're doing a better job as nurse anesthetists of being welcoming to our APRN colleagues and taking their not understanding us as an opportunity to talk about what we do. And then it ends up being a communication of what nurse practitioners are doing and what nurse anesthetists are doing and what we have in common. I also think that we're doing a better job on the organizational side of recognizing that the ANA can't go it alone. Um, 
the and the um, nurse practitioners can't go it alone, and that together we really are a stronger group. And for for an example, what I'll use is the I Can Act that was sponsored by Representative Roybal Allard and Dave Joyce out of Ohio, who's been very supportive of CRNAs. It's an increasing access to nurses act. And it was all of us together from the American Nurses Association through all of our APRN colleagues. And we stood and had a press conference together in front of the U.S. Capitol. And to me, that was the first time that I have seen us come together as professions, very collaboratively supporting each other and supporting this legislation that had something for all of us. And I believe that that's going to set the stage for the future is rather than that being the oddball, it's going to be the norm that we work together, that we have conversations that our staff speak, that our CEOs have regular conversations. I think that is going to well position us into the future. I think that is phenomenal and a huge leap. In Pennsylvania, it's something that we've been trying to do for a long time. You know, as you know, there are a lot of CRNAs in Pennsylvania, and there's also a lot of nurses in Pennsylvania in general. And we have not historically used our collaborative voice to push us forward. You know, and as a matter of fact, I feel like outside sources have definitely used us against each other uh, in in pushing legislation and in, in making changes and things like that. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to work around that and start to see that we work so much better when we're all working together, going in one direction versus, you know, fighting against each other, seeing who can get their, their stuff passed first, instead of just, you know, lining it up and saying, let's work on you, let's work on us, walking stepwise instead of in opposition to each other. It's amazing, because you just made me think of something. It's amazing how different all the states work together. I'm from Minnesota. I live in South Carolina now. Minnesota, we had an APRN coalition really pretty early as we were moving legislation and I was the CRNA representative to it. And that would have been like 2008, 2009. And we, when we developed the coalition, it was one APRN group, one voice, one vote. And if it came to things that weren't good for the other group, we knew we were going to go it together. Because the value of numbers was incredible of having all of us. And it was a very powerful coalition. And then I've been to other states where they're still struggling with exactly what you're talking about is the territorial piece makes us weaker versus working together. I mean, it, there's so much power in the voice of nursing to get together collectively that we've, we've got to move past it. One way I think we can do it is keeping in mind that I think we're still about half nurse anesthesia programs are in nursing and half are in non-nursing colleges, maybe 60-40. We've got to get nurses going there meeting with nursing students, nurse anesthesia faculty, nurse anesthesia clinical clinicians, going to schools of nursing, going to colleges of nursing, and talking to the baccalaureate students, knowing that they're not going to all go into nurse anesthesia, but they are going to go into other advanced practice roles. And how do we start early having these conversations? And I think it lies in in the academic side. That's a great idea. When you get them in that, just like when you were a nursing student and you had someone telling you how important your voice was. And that's just, that's what you led with for your entire career. Because when you're that green in your career, what you learn is what molds you. So when you learn that it's okay to be, you know, a jerk to 
people who are learning because that's how you teach them, then that's what you do. You know what I mean? And when you learn that your voice is powerful and that you need to work together, then that's just what you do. And I feel like I very much had the same experience, but yeah, you know, to, you know, counter your story about the collaboration that happened in South Carolina, I was president of PANA during COVID actually, someone from leadership from another nursing group reached out to me for support. They needed us to write a letter to uh, the Department of Health because they wanted to change some sort of regulatory policy. And they asked us if we would do it. And we were talking about it. And I was like, this is great. I'm really glad you contacted me. We have this title designation. And she said, let me stop you right there. We cannot publicly support you and we won't because anything that we do for you is going to put us in the same bucket. And you know how the physicians are with you guys, they run right at you. So no, we're not going to do it. And I got off the phone and I was like, okay, I have a choice here. I can, what I wanted to do was like lose my mind and squash everything that they wanted to do. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I kind of ran it and raved about it and vented about it to the board. Cause they had to call the board and say, can we do this? And then I was like, but listen, the right thing to do is to write the letter you know, we need to support them. If we don't start supporting them, even though I'm not happy with the situation, we need to support each other. And if what we have to do is lead by example, then we have to lead by example. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out as we come down the line. This person's not going to be the leader forever. And somebody else will come along that'll, that'll be willing to work with us. So, you know, I was proud of what we, we ended up doing, which was, the right thing, which was supporting the other nurses and making sure that, you know, they were getting pushed forward as, as much as they could. But it was a, it was a really frustrating experience. It's something that, you know, I teach my students all the time that this is not, this is not how you do it. You know, it's like, life is like improv. There's always the yes. And you always have to, there's always a way to figure it out. And I think that that's something that a lot of nursing leadership still needs to learn. I think so too. And you made me think about something is as we elevate other nursing and if they need what you're talking about at some point, the, the nursing leader that you talked to in Pennsylvania, there might be an opportunity at some point down the road that you can't even think of now that now they're going to have this understanding that nurse anesthetists are there for nursing. And it, it all goes back to the 1930s when nursing and nurse anesthesia really split or never, never really joined. And we held on to a lot of baggage for 70 some years. And what it's going to take is people like you and people that we educate to recognize that doing the right thing for nursing is doing the right thing for nurse anesthesia and how we create a generation of how we work together. You know, I think that's my role as an educator. I, I never when I talk to students, I'm, I use Randy Moore's quote of, I'm unapologetically pro-CRNA. I'm not anti-anybody else, but I'm pro-CRNA, and I'll never apologize for that. But it doesn't mean that I will be saying inflammatory things about other professions, because that's just not the healthcare world we should live in. Is uh, We elevate ourselves, and another colleague of mine always uses, and I think it fits with organizations, is leaders, um, when they're rising up that ladder, they reach down and pull others with them. And I think that's what we all do as academic leaders and professional leaders and clinical leaders is always think about that next person that's coming up the ladder. And rather than trying to stop their movement forward, how do we bring them with us? 
Yeah. And, and I think some of it is creating those good relationships with our nursing colleagues. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I found most rewarding about the leadership position is when you're able to make those connections and you start to work with people at that level, everything changes and it, it makes everything better because you, you have support in all different corners. So what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in your presidency with ANA? What are you focusing on? Probably I'd say three maybe big things is one is we still are working on CRNA is getting full practice authority in the VA. In 2016, CRNAs were cut from that uh, regulation, which I think does create some challenges with our other colleagues, but they were supportive. So that wasn't the issue. So full practice authority in the VA. And I'll put uh, I'll put my personal spin on that is I'm an army veteran. My husband was an army veteran who received care in the VA. So, and a CRNA, and I have so many colleagues that are military and as they move through their careers, I want them to have the ability to have timely access to care in the VA. Uh, wait times are too long. We know that veterans are being outsourced to community hospitals because they can't get care in the VA. That's where they're at. It's just, we have some challenges there. And to me, that's probably our number one legislative push. Uh, number two, I want to ensure that we have the membership of the ANA fully engaged with the board in moving anything forward that we're working on. And some of the things that we have done as a board so far this year is really looking at the board as a team. And it isn't just the president and it isn't just the executive committee, it's the board. And I'm sure you've seen as the messages that come out to us that we send out to members every other week. It used to it used to be really focused on the president, and that's just what we've historically done. And one of the things we did this year is it's a message from the board. Because as we develop as a team, we do better for our organization. So we're working on a lot of that, bringing members back, increasing our percentage of CRNAs that are members. I mean, ours is pretty good compared to a lot of other organizations, but I always think we can do better, bigger numbers, bigger voice. And then the other thing that we're working on, too, is some leadership development, is how can we help the states have better development within their state organizations so that we get them running for the ANA board to make sure that we have the best and the brightest sitting in those chairs as they're making decisions for our organization. I, I think that's really important. Uh, one other legislative thing I'll bring up, too, that I think is going to be interesting for us in the upcoming years is we have had a cut in Medicare reimbursement for nurse anesthetists. And um, we're also seeing private payers continue to decrease reimbursement. We had legislation passed a couple of years ago, but we're still waiting on rulemaking. So parity and reimbursement so that we're not discriminated against in healthcare facilities because we can't bring in the same amount of money as our physician anesthesiologist colleagues. So legislation, uh, the external piece of it that we're working on, internal pieces of it, high reliability organization, good leadership, prepared leadership, putting the right people on the board at the right time, and developing a team. So to me, that's that's what I've what we've worked on the first six months, and that's going to carry through for the next six months of my presidency. What are you doing to try and engage people? Because one of the things for for those who don't know, one of the the interesting things about our organization, and I think it carries through for 
a lot of the states too, as well, is that we have these huge numbers. You know, in Pennsylvania, we have about 85% of CRNAs belong to the organization. However, we could barely get 10% of people to vote and participate in any kind of change. And that's been the frustration in Pennsylvania for a long time. It's interesting because when you go out and when you talk to people about this, there are very strange reasons for not voting <laughs> or being a part of the organization, but they're still paying the dues. So I'm, I don't understand what, what the deal is, but what are, what are you think, what are some of your strategies that you're using to try and engage people nationally? I think it comes down to a couple things and, and it's, I'm going to throw the buzzword out there, even though it's kind of annoying a lot is transparency. When I go out and do the ANA update, there are very few things that I consider off limits things that I can't talk about that are an executive session or we haven't released from executive session, but I'm always transparent about my leadership journey and areas where I failed. And I think we need to have, it's called courageous authenticity, which, which I love. It's a leadership thing, talking about being, being who you are all the time, even if it's admitting faults and errors. And I, that's how I use as my leadership style. And I try to Develop that in the people that I'm mentoring also. It, it's okay to talk about your failures. What that does is it makes you human. And our members need to see the board as, number one, we are CRNAs, clinicians. All of us have been clinicians and are clinicians. And we do have similarities. And we have challenges too, as it isn't the board sitting up here by themselves. So that that to me, that's a big thing. And you'll see too, whenever, whenever I go speak to state meetings, I'm not a podium person. I don't stand up on the stage. I walk out where CRNAs are so that I'm super approachable and anybody can reach out to me. And I'm trying to develop that in other people coming through state and national pipelines. I think the other thing we can do is we need some wins. And when we win, we need to celebrate wins. And whether these are individual wins of our colleagues doing amazing things that get people excited like our CRNAs in the news that come out. Another thing that we've worked on this year too, and I've had, I'll use as an example, is I'm not an expert in everything. I have my areas of expertise. And members of our board have incredible areas of expertise. So when an opportunity came up for an interview for a newspaper in another state, and they were looking for someone who had a business background, that's not my background. I'm an academic and I do healthcare policy is I sent one of our board members to be interviewed who runs a business of CRNA as an anesthesiologist because he could speak from that area of expertise. And I think we need to leverage that. And as we do that, our members see that our board values differences and we recognize differences. And that I think is super important is everybody has skills. The other thing that... Uh, came out in a message this week to everybody is we're changing our board meetings is almost everything is going to be an open session. And I believe in the past, we have missed some opportunities to hear what members think and what members need. So our board meetings really are going to be flipped. Very few things are going to be an executive session. We're going to do a lot more work related to generative discussions so that our board meetings are interesting and engaging and not just approving consent agendas or our open session that really is reports and con consent agendas. I think we we lose some incredible opportunities to have CRNAs that are at those meetings talk to us about what's going on in their world 
and how we as a board and how we as an organization can can help and be engaged. And I'm hopeful what that does is it brings more members to our board meetings and our business meeting and voting is that they know they're being heard and everybody wants to be heard. So I'm excited about it. Our first meeting that we're having that way is the Assembly of Clinical and Didactic Educators in Austin, Texas in February. And it's gonna be pretty, pretty wide open and transparent. And I look forward to seeing you there. I imagine you're going and, and you'll have to give me some feedback on how you think the, the board meeting goes. Yeah, no, I'll definitely be there. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to hear that. Yeah, because it's definitely, it's something that we also struggle with in Pennsylvania. We've, you know, we have this, you know, as I said, probably about 85 about 85% of our CRNAs are part of the organization and just don't participate in the organization. And it's something that we sort of struggle to get people engaged with. But I think that that's a great strategy, you know, giving people an opportunity to voice their opinions and talk about, because I feel like a lot, that's where the apathy comes from is they feel like there's a disconnect between the organization and what it is that they need in their, in their daily work life. And I think that lending an opportunity for them to talk more about what it is they want us to do would give us that, that opportunity to have them participate more. Yeah, I I think so too. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, It's, it's a very different way of how we've done things, at least in my experiences with the ANA and, and who knows it, it isn't going to be perfect the first time. Very few things are, Mm -hmm. and we learn by doing in my opinion, and sometimes you just have to take that leap and and do it and know that we're going to do everything we can to engage members because they want to be heard, just like what you said. One of the exercises that we've been at, at Penn, we've been doing with our students is we've been having these kind of diversity conversations, right? This is just an example to kind of talk about what you, how this kind of relates. You know, we sort of started it a little bit free form and then made it a little bit more structured. And we just keep having the conversations because that's, I think what allows that environment of openness and transparency and, and how it all goes. And it just makes it so much easier for our students to approach us on all different levels when they know that we're willing to have difficult conversations and hear things that are hard to hear, or, you know, talk about things that are hard to talk about. And I think that that, probably would really bode well in the organization as well. Yeah, creating that environment of psychological safety, no matter what you're talking about is important. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll use even, even as an example is we had a, a board meeting a couple of meetings ago, and this would have been the last year. And we had a member stand up and voiced her displeasure about the board. And she mm-hmm. was newly engaged with the AANA. And and she kind of laughs now as I contacted her to chair one of our task forces coming up. And she was kind of funny as she goes, so is this a punishment for me standing up and saying something? (laughs) And I, you know, and I said, no, what it is, is it shows that you're engaged and interested and we need to have everybody's voice heard, not just people who agree with us. Everybody needs to be valued. And the board wants to create an environment of psychological safety for our members to disagree. That's where you get the good stuff. Yes. I think that diversity of thought is really, really important. You you have to have 
the whole spectrum of people thinking on a problem if you're going to come to a really good solution. Yeah, I think so too. Is there anything that you want to touch on before we go? I know you're so busy and I can't imagine what you have left to do for the rest of the day. So <laughs> yeah, it's, I have two full-time jobs now, but it's, uh, it's been amazing. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave with a couple things. First, happy CRNA week. It's always great to celebrate colleagues and see the really cool things that they're doing to spread the word about who we are and what we bring to our patients and to the healthcare environment and to nursing. And the other thing is, I think leadership is important. And for all of you that are listening and don't think that you have the skills and abilities or somebody out there who thinks you do, be willing to take that leap of faith that when somebody taps you on the shoulder, like they did to myself and, and Angela, is take that leap, jump in, you know, to use leadership phrase, lean into it, grab a hold of the activity. It's my career has been amazing. And I've had so many opportunities that I just encourage everybody to be involved and use that voice of nursing. It, it's that's that's a message I think forever that will resonate with me and how important that is. So again, happy CRNA week to everybody. And uh, I look forward to seeing all of you as I have travels around the country for the rest of this year. And thank you for all you do to take care of our patients. Hello, Angela. Hello, Marion. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Amazing. Hey, so season seven of Amplify Nursing, episode one, I was so inspired by your conversation with Angie and wow, like what a great interview to start us off for our new season. Yeah, she's phenomenal. And I think that she is really a breath of fresh air to the organization. Not that she's new to the organization. She's been She's been around for a while advocating and working really hard on behalf of CRNAs for a really long time, a phenomenal educator, but we have a lot of discord, I think, in the organization right now, and I feel like Angie is one of those people that everyone can get behind because she has a great message. She sees all of the things and how they fit together, and I think that her message of engaging the membership and having diversity of thought come to the board and come to leadership and come through decision-making is definitely going to be really, really helpful in solidifying the organization and making us a more cohesive group. Yeah. Not just the organization, but the profession. I mean, God, she was saying all the right things and it was making me want to join my state organization and start getting involved. It was an incredible listen and really inspiring. And I hope that those of you who are listening, heed her words and join your local nursing organizations and get involved and use your voice because we need your voices. It's so true, Marian. There are so many organizations, nursing organizations out there and people just don't participate in them. It's the same couple of people who are doing the same work over and over again. And it may not necessarily be what's needed, right? Because we don't have the voice from the grassroots effort. So it's a great message. Totally agree. 
Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa DiDonato and Marion Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. With special thanks to Jonathan Zhu for his assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing Podcast and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you do your podcast listening. And if you can, please do us a solid and rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.